Today on Podcast by the Bay, we're featuring the candidate coverage of the special election for Foster City Council on the upcoming March 3rd recall election. And we're featuring the candidates Patrick Sullivan. I probably more than uh, had that opportunity to knock on the doors and listen to the voters. And I think the voters listened to me last time and they, re- they really uh, respect that I'm going to listen to their opinions and that I'm going to hopefully get their opinions voiced on the council and that we do it in a collegiate way and that we do it in a way that we're not considered uh, an embarrassment uh, as a city council. And also the candidate, John Fruman. In, in my years as a leader in local government, I've learned to appreciate the different perspectives that people can bring to a conversation and an issue. And that starts with the community and it also applies to colleagues on the city council. We can get better results through collaboration and working together, respectfully considering each other's points of view. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications and is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com And now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. Today we're featuring our candidate coverage show for the Foster City Council special election here on March 3rd. And this is the recall election. So in this episode, we're going to speak with both candidates to really get their insight and to really hear what they have to say about many of the issues. So we're going to start off with Patrick Sullivan, and then we're going to go ahead and finish with John Fruman. So we have the honor of speaking with our co-host, but also a candidate for uh, Foster City Council, and that's Patrick Sullivan. So, Patrick, welcome to the show. We are excited to have you here. Thanks, Andre, for welcoming me, uh, and um, I appreciate the opportunity to be interviewed by Podcast by the Bay, and it's uh, I- interesting to be sitting on the other side of the uh, interview as normally I'm the person interviewing the person. So it's exciting. That is true. That is true. And uh, we got to do this uh, last time, and it was a very uh, – close uh, election last time so once again you're 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 doing it again and you're going for it and so we're excited so yeah so let's go ahead and get started so can you give a little bit of background on who you are as a candidate and why you've decided to run for city council yeah no i i've lived in foster city for over uh, 30 years i'm a business owner i was also on the park and rec committee and chaired it uh, i was on the park and rec for uh, 10 years um, as many people know, um, I had a close election the last time. We were within 225 votes of being elected to the council. Uh, I had an extremely good team. Um, I'm a businessman. Um, I'm also an arbitrator for the San Mateo County Bar Association. Um, I've had an, an extensive opportunity to uh, know the issues in Foster City and talk to the people that are currently on council or past members on council and uh, become quite informed. Um, I realize the importance of this election is about respect uh, and respect for the public as well as for colleagues. 
Um, and, it, and it's an honor to have an opportunity to run again. Um, as you know, we've, I've run in the past and I'm, my campaigns have always been run honorably. Um, and I want to continue to do that. And I feel that this transition period of time uh, for the recall of our vice or our former vice mayor, Mr. Herb Perez, uh, is called for. So what makes you the best choice as the candidate? And so why would the vo- voters vote for you? Well, I think, first of all, the voters know me. Um, the, the most important thing um, about a candidate is to be able to have the opportunity to know the candidate, uh, not just because you were uh, endorsed by a former mayor or or a former uh, council person, but that you actually have engaged with the public. Uh, and I, I probably more than uh, had that opportunity to knock on the doors and listen to the voters. And I think the voters listened to me last time and they, they really uh, respect that I'm going to listen to their opinions and that I'm going to hopefully get their opinions voiced on the council and that we do it in a collegiate way and that we do it in a way that we're not considered uh, an embarrassment uh, as a city council. And then we can move forward on the issues facing Foster City. As you know, I was instrumental working on the levy issue uh, and also working on the different housing challenges that we have in, the, on, in Foster City as well as the challenges that we have in the state of California. Sounds good. Sounds good. So this election is being held due to the recall efforts for the certain city councilmen in regards to civility. So how would you define civility and what does it mean to you to be a public servant? Well, Civility um, uh, is a courtesy, it's a politeness, uh, professional conduct. Uh, um, uh, in, in what sometimes has happened and been demonstrated to the public from council members, whether they were mayor or vice mayor, was discourtesy to a public, uh, public person. Uh, I can still remember Barbara Reagan uh, wanting to speak out and that she was forced to go to the district attorney so that the next time she could speak out um, under public comment. So when you're a public servant, you're there at, at, the, uh, at the governance of, of the people, the voters. Uh, they voted the, for you to represent them and, and not to degrade the public or degrade their colleagues. Um, Civility, um, as, as you realize, is to be civil, um, according to Webster's Dictionary, or, or politeness. Um, I encourage any of the listeners, um, about almost two years ago, I did an interview with our current mayor, uh, uh, Catherine Mahanapur, about civility. And I think that that was an extremely good interview. So if people want to hear what civility means to our current mayor, um, as well as it means the same thing to me, being civil to your colleagues, being respectful to the public, and um, doing things in the right manner, in order. Well, so, okay, so, and what does it mean to you to really be a public servant then? Well, a public servant, most of all, is to listen to your, your, the public, meaning the voters, uh, whether they have a concern about a rec center or whether they have a concern about housing um, or whether they have a, a, a concern about transportation. It's actually listening to their voices. They're the ones that put you in office. But in conjunction with that, you have a you have a, four other people that you're sitting with there on the council, and you have to to work with them collegially and listen to their points of view. You may agree with it or you may disagree with it, but you have to do it in a professional way uh, so that you can get um, get the right things done in a timely fashion. It's not about ego. It's not about who's who's become mayor or vice mayor, 
but it's all about doing your job. Well, you, you actually bring up a good point. Um, you know, one of the mayors we actually interviewed in the past really did discuss about being on council, you have to work together. And you really have to work together as a team and really deal with these different dynamics of the p- people's personalities. So what style of leadership do you bring to the table that would enable you guys to work with these different personalities and come together to solve problems in our community? I think that's a great question, uh, Andre. And the best thing is is that um, I've experienced with the opportunity of being on the podcast and interviewing people, and the word is listen, 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 and ask questions. Um, and ask questions before you think you know the answer. So I think it's pulling yourself back and trying to understand where your colleagues at at that certain point. We have all kinds of different leadership styles that have been on the council, um, and we and I I've I've witnessed all of the people on the council at a growing period. Um, when you become first on the council, you have a growing period of of knowing what when to when to talk or when not to talk, whether Robert's rules are being followed. But most of all, you find out about what the rules are with representing the public. Most of all, one of the the big things you should learn about the Brown Act, and the Brown Act is making sure that you do not make uh, public uh, decisions before bringing it to the public uh, and that you don't bring stuff that's going to benefit your own self-interest and that you identify that if you have a conflict of interest. Um, recently, as you know, in one of the, the council meetings, the uh, committees for the uh, Park and Rec Committee uh, couldn't be decided on because a few of the candidates had conflicts, and hopefully they're going to resolve that. So the the valor is always um, ask the city attorney or be cautious about your points of view and find out if you have a conflict of interest, or most of all, listen to your colleagues and see what they have to share with you. You don't have to agree with them, but you have to understand what they're representing. So, so would you say your style of leadership then is kind of more of a listening kind of approach? Is that what you're kind of describing? Well, I, I think it, it's more of a listening and um, I'm trying to collaborate with them and, and find out, uh, collaborate and kind of give a, a, an understanding of what are they trying to accomplish with passing um, a rec center uh, budget or, or, or a levy proposal and what or whether we're talking about the design of the rec center, whether we're talking about the design of the levy, there's always crucial issues um, that can be addressed, but it can only be addressed by listening and listening close and collaboration. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, so we're going to move on to some of the issues that are kind of affecting Foster City, affecting the region. And so one of the main ones is really our living costs, right? We're, we're in a place that's some of the highest in the country right here on the peninsula. And we're really witnessing the erosion of the middle class is right before our eyes. I mean, you're seeing families struggling to make it um, in a very tight uh, living cost situations. And so what is your vision on how to balance some of this income disparity really so some of the middle class families are able to actually are able to actually live here? Well, I don't know if I've got quite an answer for it, but obviously I've been in the the, uh, housing industry for about 40 years. I can say that that what we're witnessing uh, is an extremely growth of an economy in Silicon Valley with extremely high incomes. Um, 
it, it appears on the surface, um, at least in San Mateo County and, and partially in Santa Clara County, that we're building high-end rentals. Um, that we're not building housing for the middle class. Um, so the disparity or the cost of the land and, and the cost of construction is really pushing a lot of people out of the real estate market. Um, so as our governor said, um, and this was before Gavin and Newsom was in, there were some 3.5 million on housing shortage. Now, I'm not sure whether that's housing that's uh, mostly workforce or is it senior housing or subsidized housing. Um, I do realize in, with the opportunity of speaking to Senator Weiner, uh, who's been proposing different bills that have been tabled, or whether talking to different mayors on the peninsula, that we need to address the housing issue, but we need to address it on a regional thing, meaning we need to deal with it in Foster City or we need to deal with it in San Mateo. Um, there are new solutions coming up. I don't think there's any uh, silver bullet, so to speak, but a, a, a co cooperation of creating more affordable housing. Um, I'm, I'm very much concerned about the middle class housing being eroded. Uh, as we realize in the in, uh, city of San Mateo and Foster City, a starting house is at about a million dollars, and then it could be a condominium or townhouse. So I don't have the complete answer to that, but I think if we collaborate and work, work together with our experiences, we can do that. I know the state is looking currently at the corridor transportation areas. This is land that is owned by the city, county, or state. That could reduce some 50% of the cost of the land by doing that. So there's more innovative ideas. Um, I think we just don't need to be regulated so much by the state, but we state's going to come down on us and mandate some rules. So we have to look at housing and figure a solution. That's actually a great point. And I've heard our current mayor, Catherine Monopore, uh describe this even in her introduction uh, when she became mayor, was about how the state's actually going to be coming down with some of these more arena goals, right? And so... This is going to happen. We're going to get housing requirements. We're going to get this. So it's really becoming apparent that this is going to happen, and the localities are going to have to deal with this. So if we're able to plan and we're able to actually look ahead so we can meet these goals, what, what are some of the opportunities that you're seeing that you can see that how we can actually provide sustainable, affordable housing? Well, I know we've got the hard organization. As you know, most cities on the housing, um, they used to have their own money in the, and the, that money was put aside for different housing projects, whether it was a project in uh, Trident and Foster City or whether it was a project in San Mateo. So they're putting money aside. The, the, the major thing is the opportunity to have the land. Um, we, we've had that recent situation where Crestmore High School which is closing is uh, is actually been bought out or is in a process of a bid right now, and they're going to hopefully build some houses in there. Uh, they also have another uh, project that they have out there in uh, um, San Bruno, which is the old golf uh, golf driving range off 280, which is hopefully going to have some workforce housing or teacher housing. The buzzword is workforce, and it is teacher housing. We we as we realize we have probably over 35 to 40 percent of the people that come into the San Mateo County or into Foster City for that matter live in the East Bay. They don't live right here on the peninsula because of the affordability of purchasing or renting. So renting still is much more affordable on the east side than it is on, on, on our side right here. Well, you actually bring it up also within regards to most people living outside the area and driving through. And I think traffic 
is probably one of the major concerns of all residents. I mean, we they just had the, the no left-hand turn uh, project that went into effect. Um, and so I think we're still dealing with major traffic and things like that. So what do you see as immediate opportunities to really deal with this massive issue? Well, you know, I'm going to kind of give you a micro and a macro. Um, first of all, I congratulate that we do the no left-hand turnoff off Shell and Foster City Boulevard and Edgewater. But um, the the situation with that, and this, this came about by a citizen, Bob Fitzgerald's suggestion, uh, the results aren't really back, but but it's, it appears that it may be solving some people cutting over to get onto uh, 92 uh, from the uh, Edgewater or the Shell. So I think it's somewhat working. I'm not sure what the results are. One of the things that I, I mentioned, even with all the interviews with the different mayors and the different assembly people on the podcast by the Bay, is that we are all fighting for the same federal and state tax dollar. We don't have a transit district. We don't have that we're all collaborating um, with things. I'm excited about the electrification of the Caltrain um, and that we're going to have more tracks and more ridership. But I think somehow we have to collaborate much better, um, not only with the commercial businesses that bring the employees in, but working in conjunction with um, the state of California in the 101 and 92 connection. We're going to be seeing that expand. We're going to be seeing that to have more uh, toll lanes. Um, I'm not sure the toll lanes are a solution, but I think we have to collaborate much better with your SAM trains, your Caltrains, your BART. Um, so I think it's a bigger picture um, with cooperation from all cities. Well, that's I appreciate that. Um, also, I don't know if you just saw, I think it was yesterday, that the SAM trams, that FCX bus, that special shuttle bus, actually is being canceled because they can't find a driver because there's not enough drivers. Not that there wasn't demand, but just they actually couldn't find a driver. So I think that... You're right. I think we're dealing with bigger issues here. I mean, if we can't find drivers because they can't afford to live, you know, it's hard for us to even solve some of these issues like this because of that. So I think... Um, Let me give an example, too, that, that came to me. Um, in 2018, I talked to um, Paul uh, Goodledge, and he's the Peninsula Jewish Community Center um, chief executive officer. And we talked about his employees. He has about 33 or 35 employees. Um, and they all live in the East Bay, uh, so they all commute in. And I thought um, that it, it, as we see the Google and Apple buses, half of them are empty. Uh, and I thought, wow, what a partnership if we could somehow get one of those Google or Apple or Oracle buses to, to bring those people from uh, the East Bay over here. But, you know, uh, even though it sounds like a great idea, everybody tells me, oh, it's going to be an insurance issue or somebody's going to talk about some secret software or s some type of phone. So I'm not sure. I think we, we have to think a little bit outside of the box. It's so positive to have a bus come in here, but it's kind of sad to see it's half empty. Makes sense. Um, all right. Well, so what are some ways that we can involve the community into participating into government and helping to be a part of that process? Well, I think it goes back to the few words that I said to begin. We've got to listen to them. Um, I think we have to listen and follow up. The city has done an extremely good job of getting surveys, but somehow we're not engaging the public um, and the engaging the public. I, I was very honored um, by a couple of months ago when I saw the 
Foster City Police Force all were at Starbucks for the public to meet them. I thought that was really, really encouraging. I think maybe we need to have more open houses at the City Hall, not just to be focused on, on our meetings or our planning commission. We need to encourage them to participate. I think with today's day and age, with cyberbullying and, and all the craziness going on in the world, that people have become a little bit jaded towards government or towards the newspapers or towards political parties. I'm honored to run for a new, uh, for a council seat, for a nonpartisan seat. This is not about political agendas. This is about working for the people, by the people. It's doing what, what they used to do a long time ago when government was formed. A blacksmith would come in or uh, a rancher would come in or a doctor. When we actually, all we're doing is volunteering our time to make the community better for all of us. Sounds good, Patrick. Sounds good. So last question, what is your vision for Foster City in 40 years? What do you see Foster City being like in 40 years? Well, first of all, I hope I'm still around, but that means I'd be quite old if, if, if I was. Um, I, I, I think what we're going to see is uh, more uh, uh, solar. Solar energy is still going to be very, very popular. They say that's the, the new clean energy and that it's much more cost effective than gas. Um, so I, I'm assuming we're also going to have probably 70 to 80% solar cars. Um, I would assume that we're probably going to have more people working at home. Um, I know that that's taking place now. Um, uh, we're going to have more autonomous cars. Um, so I think we're going to hopefully be a healthier community, uh, a much more availability for child care. If child care is important, I think we're going to have the, the availability of better, better schools, better structures. Um, and maybe we're going to have a kinder society. Uh, we're going to have people working together because they have more time off. And when they have more time off, they can work on social things. They can work with the rec department or they can work with the homeless or they can work cleaning up the, the beaches if we need to clean up the beaches. I envision a, a period of time of more harmony in the next 20 or 30 or 40 years with us taking care of our structures, whether it's our fire department or whether it's whether it's the police department or whether it's city hall or whether it, well, it won't be a levy. I Hopefully our levy will sustain itself. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing that levy be completed uh, on time and on budget. Sounds good, Patrick. So last thing, what do you want to say to the voters out there in Foster City listening to this interview right now? Well, I'm excited for John that he's running. I want you to take the opportunity not to vote for someone just because someone told you to vote for them. I want you to do your due diligence and find out what that person's all about. Find out where they stand on issues with housing and transportation and what have they done in the community. I think it's important to uh, make this a nonpartisan race, but make it a race based on decisions on who would be civil, who would really truly represent the public's interest and work in a collegiate way with all of the members and also have the experience to walk right into the seat and understand the issues that face Foster City currently, which is the levy, the rec center. We even got our sewer treatment plant that's almost going to be uh, completed in probably another year or so too. So we have issues. I'm ready here. I'm ready and willing and able to serve. Um, and as you know, the voters should understand this is only for a short period of time for about seven months. 
and I look forward to doing a great job. And when I do a great job, then hopefully I'll get elected in November. Well, thanks, Patrick. Thanks for your time. Where can the voters find out more about you and your candidacy? They can go to our, our website, which is patricksullivanfostercity.com. Um, and believe me, we, we have podcasts on there, too, on uh, why I'm running uh, and how I, how I could represent the community. And um, along the journey, I'm going to try to keep you posted. I'm going to try to keep you posted on the comments I'm getting from door to door. I'm going to be at the farmer's market. I'm going to be at Lucky Markets. Um, and, you know, you can go on our website. Uh, some of those times may change um, based on uh, circumstances, weather conditions. And anybody that would like to volunteer their time, it's always important to get involved in the process that's made this country so strong. Well, thanks for your time, Patrick. We appreciate you being here on the show, and we definitely appreciate your time. And best wishes. Thanks, Andre. Thanks again from Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Okay, well, thanks to Patrick for speaking with Podcast by the Bay and for really providing insight on his views about some of the issues affecting Foster City. So next up, we're going to bring up John Fruman, who we spoke with, and we really got to understand his perspective on many of the issues. So here we go. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is uh, the candidate forum for the Foster City Council for the special election of the recall coming up on March 3rd. And so we have the special privilege of speaking with John Fruman, who's the candidate for Foster City Council. So, John, welcome to the show. We appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me, Andre. So can you give us a little background on who you are as a candidate and why you've decided to run for city council? Sure. Andre, as I think many people know, I, I grew up in Foster City. My family moved here in 1972 and uh, raised me and as well as my two brothers here in Foster City. Went to public schools here, participated in youth sports. Then I, I worked for the city for 30 years, 25 of those paid within the police department. And my wife and I decided to raise our three children here as well in Foster City. So I understand those demands of, of raising a family in a community like Foster City. And I have uh, the 35 years of, of total government work. I uh, did 30 years here in Foster City. I did five years down in San Diego County as I completed my career in uh, public local government. I've been committed to, to our community specifically in Foster City for many years. I was a member of the Boy Scout Troop 175 where I became an Eagle Scout and helped teach me about public service and giving back to our community. I was an umpire in our little league here in Foster City, and I was also the first police explorer. I helped to start the police explorer program within the Foster City Police Department. And I continued as an adult. Uh, I'm a past president, as well as a past Lion of the Year for the Foster City Lions Club, of which I've been a member for the last 20 years. And as for why I'm running, I've been given a lot of skills and knowledge that I've learned from my 35 years experience in local government about working with the community and working with colleagues to accomplish goals for a community. And I feel that those skills will help me to, again, work with the community and work with my colleagues on the city council to position Foster City for the future. 
We need to welcome our community back to their city council chambers so they can respectfully conduct business with us as a, uh, as a community. Sounds good, John, and we appreciate you being a longtime resident and public service. We definitely appreciate for that. Um, so what really makes you the best choice as a candidate, and why should the voters vote for you? Well, some of it has already been discussed. I have, I have 35 years of experience working within local government. I see, I've seen it from the inside. I've watched it from the outside as well. I've gone to council meetings since I've been back in town. I participated in council meetings as an employee of the city. I, uh, I do part-time consulting now in other communities within the state of California, which gives me a unique opportunity to learn as I'm helping those communities. I'm also learning best practices that are going on both in those communities and others within the state of California. Also, I think that what's really important for a, a local leader in, on a city council is a passion for the community. And like I mentioned before, my, my passion started as, as a Boy Scout in Foster City and has just blossomed from there through a commitment to volunteerism in our community, whether it's through law enforcement, the police department, the Lions Club. I've also done some volunteer work for our uh, local Foster City San Mateo School District. Uh, my character and integrity have been proven through my career in law enforcement. It's imperative in that career to have an unquestionable character and a level of integrity. I understand and have demonstrated the importance of engaging with the community to come together to solve problems and work as a community, whether, again, through my Lion, Lions Club work or when I was down in Coronado um, as a police chief, it was my obligation, my my passion to work with the community to come to resolutions of issues we were facing in the community. And finally, I'm proud as well as humbled by the number of endorsements I've received from past and current leaders within our foster city community. Sounds good. So this election is being held due to the recall efforts for current city council men and in regard in really in regards to civility. And so how would you define civility and what does it mean to you to be a public servant? I think it's really important that characteristics of honor and respect are critically important when we're leading in a community or leading in an organization. And I believe it's important for leaders to listen respectfully and respect differences. We're not all going to agree on all topics that are being discussed, but I believe that we need to be open. I believe I am open to being influenced by the public and my colleagues on the city council, which is, it's critical. We can't come into an issue with a solid position. We, need, we can have a leaning towards something, but we need to really listen and understand the position of our colleagues who may see things differently, as well as members of the public. Again, we need to invite them to come back, participate in government, and we need to respect their opinions, whether they're different than ours or not, so that we can have all the information necessary to make good decisions. And as public servants, we have to remember that we work for the public. Those people that are coming to our meetings are the people who put us in the position of responsibility to do the public's work for them. And therefore, we are accountable to them. And that's what I think we're seeing right now with this election. Um, as a public servant, it's also our obligation to be the conduit. It's our job as council members to receive the information from the public, receive the information from staff, 
and provide that direction to our city staff to carry out the will of the people of the community of Foster City. Sounds good. Um, so why don't we switch to some of the local issues that are specifically for Foster City and really our region. And one of the big issues is living costs, right? So living costs are some of the highest in the country right here on the peninsula. And we're kind of seeing the erosion of the middle class. It's kind of happening right before our eyes. So what is your vision on really how we can balance some of this income disparity so the middle class families are really able to sustain and live here in our community? Well, Andre, I think that's a that's a pretty difficult situation that we're facing. It's it's not just local. This this is a regional and national issue. Uh, people live here in Foster City and on the peninsula for the quality of life that it provides to them and to their families. And as I've learned from somebody that I worked for in the past, people sacrifice to live here. And what what I mean by that is they're they're willing to pay the price for the quality of life and the services that we provide in our community. That quality of life and that cost that comes with it is, is very difficult to deal with on a local level. We, the quality of life comes at a higher cost because on the peninsula, it's difficult to build affordably. We have very expensive land to start with, and then the cost of services to build on that land is, again, higher than most areas, which makes it very difficult but people are flocking here because we have the best jobs in the country. And all we can do is do our best to provide them the best services possible for the money that they're spending to live here. And then hope that the regional and national government help to deal with some of these disparities regarding the, uh, the different classes within our community. I appreciate your feedback on that one. Um, so one of the things I listening to our current mayors um, when she was, uh, you know, introduced and she had an opening speech and it, she kind of brought this up uh, really about the arena goals and about how we're getting some of these. Uh, the, it, it, there might be some changes in the way we're looking at housing and really how the conversation is framed. So it's it's kind of becoming apparent that the state has potential to really mandate some of these housing requirements really to the localities in the future. Um, so. What are some opportunities that you see on how we can plan for meeting some of these RENA goals if they do happen and really provide sustainable, affordable housing? Well, I think we need to do our best first to educate ourselves as well as the public on this complex issue. And it's an ever-changing topic. As, as you know, the state has put into place laws and over the last several years uh, restricting local government, and they're continuing to look at additional legislation that would do do that even further. Uh, we have a, a great example in the city of San Mateo, the attorney general for the state of California at the direction of the governor is intervening in a land use issuance, the city of San Mateo over a small 10 unit residential complex. That's the degree to which local governments are having to deal with the state trying to manipulate what's going on in our local government. So I believe we need to, to do two things at the same time. I, I believe we need to lobby our state representatives to be more holistic and realistic about how they're trying to approach this housing issue. It's not just housing, it's, it's attached to many other topics. And then while doing so, we have an obligation as local leaders to review proposals that come before the city council. And I believe we should be doing that with an eye 
on the character of our community and trying to maintain that the best we can. The impacts the projects have on our community infrastructure, staff, schools, and whatnot, and understanding the interests of our community members. We need to balance, try to balance all those things while staying within the law and what the state ultimately will allow us to do with our public lands or our lands and zoning at the uh, local level. Sounds good. I appreciate your feedback on that. Um, so one of the other issues, especially with the Foster City residents, is traffic. It's probably one of the major concerns and kind of affects all residents. So what do you see as some of the immediate opportunities to deal with this massive issue? Well, the, the traffic issue that we face in Foster City is not limited to us, and it's not totally uh, fixable by Foster City. The, the traffic issues start on our local highways and roadways. 101 and 92 get backed up. That backs up traffic into Foster City, makes it more and more difficult for our residents to enter and exit our community. Our city has taken some steps that have proven beneficial to minimizing some of the influence of cut through traffic, people that are trying to avoid the 92-101 interchange that the state uh, is actively working to help address by adding lanes and capacity on 101, as well as the interchange from 101 to 92 in an effort to help with this congestion. I don't know how successful that's going to be, but that's something that's in the works right now. Within Foster City, I think some of the things that we can, one of the things that we can do is we can try to leverage technology resources to help move traffic more efficiently through town. Years ago, we switched from loops in the street to gauge whether traffic was waiting for a signal light to using cameras. But I, I have an interest in questioning or looking further into those cameras and are there, is there a better technology that can be used? I just use my personal experience as a resident like everyone else sitting at an intersection when there's no cross traffic and I'm sitting at a red light, is that necessary? Why is that happening? And working with staff to try to resolve those types of issues. One of the mayors we've interviewed in the past mentioned about being on council was really having to work together as a team and dealing with the different dynamics of the different council members. So what style of leadership do you bring to the table to be able to work with the different personalities and come together to solve problems for the community? Well, I think the first thing is we need to, it comes back to the word respect. We've talked about that before, is respecting our differences. We've all been elected by the people of Foster City to represent them as a council. We've been asked to work together to solve the issues and run the policy decisions of the, of the city. Uh, in, in my years as a leader in local government, I've learned to appreciate the different perspectives that people can bring to a conversation and an issue. And that starts with the community, and it also applies to colleagues on the city council. We can get better results through collaboration and working together, respectfully considering each other's points of view. I'm not coming into this knowing all the answers. I have some expertise and some experience in certain areas that other council members may not, so they may learn from me. They have expertise and interests and different perspectives on issues that, that I don't have, and I, I can certainly learn from them. So I believe that it, it starts with respect, it starts with understanding and appreciation for others' differences, and using that information 
to find the best solution. It doesn't have to be my solution. It has to be the best solution based on the information that we share. So what are some of the ways we can involve the community into participating into government and being a part of the process? Well, again, the, the R word comes back again, and that's respect. We need our residents to feel comfortable coming to their city council chambers to be heard by their local representatives, the city council. They need to feel comfortable coming to the meetings and participating, uh, whether it's their three minutes of open conversation or it's their positions or opinions on agendized items and feeling comfortable that the council is listening, the council is hearing what they have to say, and the council is respectful about receiving that information. So that's, that's the first thing. If we're respectful to our community when they come to speak to us, they will continue to come and participate. Second, I believe that there are certain types of projects that benefit from additional input from the community that's really difficult to get at a city council meeting in, in that kind of structured environment. And sometimes it's better to use community workshops to gather information. It's a little more open, a little more casual, and that can be used at various stages of decision-making, usually on more significant projects. It's my understanding the city council did things like that regarding the recreation center. They did that regarding the levy project. Those are good examples of large projects that in a more casual, relaxed environment, we can get good input from the public. And the third, I think, is town hall meetings. And I see the difference being a town hall meeting being more informational. When we're talking about the housing issues and traffic is the ability to use a town hall meeting to bring our community together, again, in a more comfortable, relaxed environment to simply provide unbiased information so everybody, the council members in the community, are working from the same information when we're looking at these very complex, very difficult issues then we're seeing it through the same lens and we understand each other's perspective a little bit better because we have that foundational knowledge. So we've talked a little bit about your background, who you are as a candidate, why you've decided to run and really about some of the issues. So what is your vision for 40 for Foster City in 40 years? So let's say 40 years from now, what would your vision be like for Foster City? Well, I think that's a pretty difficult question. 40 years is, is a long way out. And as we've seen from our past, if we think back 40 years from now, right now, would we ever have thought about electric cars? Would we ever thought about telephones that don't have wires on them or the internet and the different ways we can communicate with our public? So I think that it's very difficult because change occurs quickly and it sometimes is somewhat unpredictable. But I believe if we have, I believe that we will have a nimble government that has the ability to try to forecast the environment, see some of these things evolving and coming to fruition so that we can make changes more gradually and not being uh, quickly responsive to something that crept up on us, trying to see as much as we can ahead of time. Our community has done some good things in the past uh, that other communities have, have failed to do or have waited much longer to do, and it's positioned our community in a much better light uh, now than, than others are. I'm hoping that our residential neighborhoods will maintain their character while meeting the needs of the residents of our future. Again, we don't know what all that will bring 
and what types of things will be necessary in our neighborhoods to meet those needs. And then as far as our retail and commercial areas, I think they need to develop and adapt to the changing environment, very similar to what's happening now. Uh, I remember about 15, 20 years ago, there was discussion about why some of the tilt-up uh, buildings in our commercial areas weren't working out for the future because of the need for wiring and technology and things like that. I think we need to continue doing those types of forecasting events to figure out how we can maintain our retail and commercial developments to ensure their long-term sustainability which in turn helps to sustain our long-term sustainability as a community. Most importantly, our staff, residents, and the leaders within our community need to endeavor to ensure that Foster City remains the pride of the peninsula. We need to always have that as our vision as we're making decisions and moving forward. Sounds good, John. Thanks for your time. And where can some of the residents uh, that want to find out more about you and your campaign. Where can they find out more about your information? I'm on Facebook, John Fruman for City Council, as well as a website, uh, www.johnfrumanforcitycouncil.com. And we will be having events within the community that are mentioned on those uh, websites. One of them is on January 25th between 2 and 5 p.m. at the... Um, Edgewater Townhome Complex 770 Altair Avenue will be an opportunity to come meet with me, discuss what's going on in our community. Well, John, we appreciate your information and we appreciate you uh, speaking here with Podcast by the Bay. Thank you very much and best of luck on the campaign. We appreciate you being here. Thank you for the opportunity. And I again want to encourage the community of Foster City to vote on March 3rd. Vote yes on the recall and vote John Fruman for City Council. Thank you. Thanks again. We'd like to thank again Patrick Sullivan and John Froman for speaking with Podcast by the Bay regarding their candidacy in the upcoming special election here in Foster City regarding the recall. And just to note, we've actually taken a little bit of a break. We've been taking some time off uh, from doing a lot of podcasts uh, due to Patrick Sullivan's uh, candidacy. So if you're wondering why we haven't done so many shows, uh, he's been focusing on his candidacy, and so we'll be back soon, um, and uh, we just wanted to keep you guys up to date. So once again, if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And until next time, stay tuned.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. You can contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications and is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com All material and content is property of Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. You can follow us on Twitter, at Podcast by the Bay as our handle, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast by the Bay. And remember, you can listen to any of our episodes anytime on any podcast site. Until next time, stay tuned. Thank you.